0: on your visibility out in the market and how many prospects you're actually visiting, that's really not a good metric necessarily. It's the quality of the engagement that counts.
1: Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show.
2: Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 65th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Brian Claggett to the show. Brian is a strategic leader helping fintech and finserve win market share, who most recently drove Gzio's marketing efforts as the CMO and investor helping to sell the company to Jack Henry and Associates in July of 2019. Since then, Brian has taken up advisory roles at ChannelNet, Blip, Nimbus, in addition to running badass banking on a mission to help banks, credit unions, and fintech create a better financial services experience for both consumers and business. Hello, Brian, and welcome to the show today. Good to see you, my man. I am. Hey, I am. Always good uh, to see you. I'm
0: always thrilled to be on your show and just to sometimes just catch up with you.
2: Yeah, it is always good. You know, uh, it's been um, over 10 years now since we first connected and have had a lot of good conversations, good experiences presenting together um, over the years and sharing knowledge and insight. And And that's really my hope today is just uh, to, to transfer knowledge to the dear listener from the your lens of the world and what you're dear seeing. dear listener. That sounds very North Korean. Yeah. <laughs> the dear listener um no 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 north korea uh happening over here but um when we look at and reflecting back on on 2020 just for you personally what what have been some of the biggest lessons that have come out of the what i'm calling the 2020 experience
0: well i i worked with a lot of brands and uh in, in 2020 and i think when we started this experiment, we'll call it, or experience back in March, I think people were really panicked, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think there was a fear that, and it wasn't just a fear of the disease, but a fear of the economic collapse. And obviously things have been tough for for millions in America. And I think a lot of bankers, the, the credit union folks included, and the fintechs were really worried that their physical presence was gonna cause their uh, demise. Yep. And you know they're gonna they're gonna have a cultural fallout from a staffing point of view because we went from seeing people in offices to having these you know work from home experiences. What I've learned, work from home is actually done great. A lot of people are really benefiting from it. I think some organizations are stronger because of it, even culturally. Yeah, I think there's been a remarkable amount of productivity that's come out of some of these financial institutions, certainly the fintechs, and uh, we, we adapted, right? And another lesson learned was the fact that it's not just the younger folks out there, the millennials, that are ad- adopting technology. It's, you know, old farts like me and, 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 you know, Gen Y, Gen X, you know, they're all out there and they're using technology and they're finding that it's pretty darn easy And the bankers are realizing they don't have to have the same physical
2: attributes they always had. They actually can survive in a digital world. You know, I think back in in hearing your reflection, this idea of the physical versus the digital world and some of the fear. I mean, I was launching a book in 2020 and had all of these big plans and book tours and then all of that got shut down. But I got to tell you, I was way more efficient, way more productive in this digital Zoom conversation world. I don't know if I want to go back to the way things were before because we've seen so much opportunity as it stands today. Would I like to get back and meet people again in the world and, you know, give them a hug and shake their hand? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think there's going to be a balance. It's like we we, we got to find this new this new level of comfort. Yeah. What are your
0: thoughts on that? No, I think you're right. I think it's a balance. I mean, you know, I, I when I was at Strategy Corps, and I spent a year with them just about, and I love those guys, great product. But I was spending a lot of time in airports. Hmm. And that was, there was a lot of downtime. Um, now, granted, I'm, I'm addicted to social, and I'm, you know, I'm always firing out emails and messages. So maybe I'm a little more productive than the average person is in an airport. But uh, that was time down. The time I'm spending now and the time that I see a lot of the sales guys that I know that are no longer, quote unquote, on the road, you know, they're, they're still productive. You know, they're meeting as many people, maybe even more. I think the harder challenge is how to make those interactions quality oriented, yeah. right? It's not just a quantity issue. But if you're a sales guy, you know, sometimes your success is measured on 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 your visibility out in the market and how many prospects you're actually visiting, that's really not a good metric necessarily. It's the quality of the engagement that counts, and ultimately, you know, it's the the impact that you have, meaning are you driving sales?
2: Well, I, I think there's you know so a lot of truth with that because personally speaking, you know, I've enjoyed being able to advise uh, you know top fifteen over in Europe. Uh, then hop over to the Caribbean and then go over to California all in one day, uh, and, and go home and sleep in my bed at night. So, and, and actually get quality sleep and see my wife, see my kids. Yeah. Uh, but then I also think, you know, from the lens of I'm a CLO, you know, I'm a lending, uh, MLO. I, I, I have my own book of business, commercial lending at a bank. What, what, what be you? <sighs> I can't go play golf anymore, but I can get on LinkedIn and, you know, make all of these connections and be. Jay Palter. And I were talking about this on a previous episode and be a lot more efficient, but it takes a different mindset. It takes a different operational model. And, and it really forces us to look for the opportunities that we might not have ever considered before when we were on the golf course spending four or five hours with you know three other people. Yeah. When we look at those opportunities, particularly from the work that you're doing, the collaboration between financial brand and fintech, what are those opportunities that you see in 2021 and beyond?
0: Well, I think that I, I think it goes back to a the theme that I've always believed in, and that's this this uh, concept of engagement banking. Mm-hmm. How do bankers and credit, you know, I always say bankers, right? Credit unioners, bankers, the same thing. How does financial the financial industry uh, the financial services industry as a whole? How does it stay highly contextual and highly relevant? And I think whether you have a physical or a digital experience, as long as you're contextual and relevant, it'll be a meaningful engagement. And I think that is what will drive the success of financial services. It's not whether or not you've got a new bank sign out in front of your branch, it's not whether you've got a, you know, a large market presence which is often defined by not just your, your market itself but the number of locations in a market. If you're actually out there leveraging data and building experiences that are meaningful, you're going to succeed. And I think that 2020 is a setup for success in 2021. I'm seeing an increase in in dedication to digital channels. The PPP lending thing is a great example. You know what Jill Castilla and Mark Cuban did, is a perfect example. It took an outsider like Mark Cuban to say, holy crap, we need to create a destination for small business to go to to get clarity on what the hell the government is saying, right? Ooh,
2: that's so, a great point. That's a great point to get clarity because, you know, from the consumer perspective, whether you're, you know, an individual, you know, head of household, business owner, I think there's so much more confusion from that perspective. That is where, and to your point with Jill, that's where we as bankers are able to come in to provide clarity and really hope. That you don't have to stay stuck here, right? Right.
0: No, you don't. Yeah. I think banks and credit unions are learning new tricks. No. Yeah. They, they, they realize that. And I'm looking at like the hires that are going on out there in the industry right now uh, in, in the banking space. They're, they're not looking for your traditional worker, right? They're, they're hiring people that are, um, I, I don't want to say di- digital natives, but they're hiring people that understand engagement from a more holistic point of view. And, you know, even the retail bankers that I know that have large branch networks are looking for different kinds of people. There's a cultural impact or evolution that might be occurring in light of maybe COVID, or it could just simply be because, you know, technology is is advancing so quickly.
2: That's a great point. The idea of attracting, recruiting, and really retaining talent for digital growth where are these hires being made from? Is it from the industry? Or are we looking now outside of the industry and bringing people in who might not necessarily be jaded by the past of banking?
0: Yeah, yeah I, I can probably comment more from a fintech point of view. They're looking outside the industry. Mm. Some of the bankers I know are looking for non-bankers as mm-hmm. well because they're looking for a different perspective. Even in the 80s, we went through a period where we had those supermarket branches popping up. When I was at Core States and we had supermarket branches, we actually were were, were recruiting
2: from Kenny shoe stores. Remember Kenny shoe stores? Yep. He I remember my that. mom taking me there and getting fit with the little metal thing. And yep. 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 We, we
0: recruited
2: from, from them because these are people that were hungry, that were taught
0: in the store to uh, approach the customer. So we had people that were in the supermarkets or ex uh, shoe store, shoe salesmen selling product at these supermarket, supermarket branches. I'm not suggesting we're going to be bringing shoe stores back or anything like that, but, but there's definitely an advantage to looking outside the market to break the norm because the bank of yesterday
2: is not going to be the bank of tomorrow. But what you just said is that's a key insight right there. We were hiring people from Kinney's shoe store to take a proactive stance in someone's buying journey the same can be true in the digital space to where i think a lot of financial brands are still in a reactive mode waiting for someone to raise their hand to where we have so much digital signaling going on we can be that kenny's shoe salesman from the context of digital to Take a proactive stance in their life, and you know, and really help help them through that journey before somebody even yep. is even aware of, of where they're at right now. Yep,
0: yeah. It's 2021 is going to be an interesting year. I mean, we just started the second round of this PPP loan thing. I think it's over 200 billion dollars it's available. So you see the jokers still is out there, you know, jumping on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Numerated fintech companies all over it. Um, Nimbus is developing some product. Uh, they've already got a lending platform in place. You know, it's We learned a lesson just from the PPP loan experience from a retail delivery point of view. So that thing is gonna continue to propel, I think, the industry to be a little more uh, digitally savvy and a little more relevant. Hopefully we'll learn some uh, valuable experiences from that. I think the payment industry is gonna be another one that's gonna be exciting next year, or this year. I keep forgetting, it's hard to believe it's 2021, right? But you know, there's gonna be a lot that's occurring in the payment space. Another one is uh, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. Yes. Yeah, right now we have remarkable volatility. I haven't looked, but I think in the last few days it's popped up and back about 12 or 15%. I mean, crazy stuff. But you know, banks are gonna start offering Bitcoin. Non-traditional financials like Mass Mutual and Prudential will probably start offering Bitcoin. The number one term searched on Charles Schwab's website last week, was Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. okay? It's not 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds that are doing those searches, it's millennials and younger that are doing that. Kids, uh, my my kids age, 23 and 21. So yeah, there's gonna be a lot that happens in a short period of time. I think 2021 is gonna be, honestly, it's gonna be a really good year.
2: Yeah, I agree. A lot of opportunity on the flip side of the coin, the Bitcoin, if you will, what are going to be some of the roadblocks, the challenges for financial brand leaders, as well as fintech leaders to be aware of that they don't get tripped up and and get stuck? I think it'll
0: be the same ones we've always had, you know, a certain level of uh, apathy. The industry as a whole, because it's such a commoditized industry, has been somewhat fat, dumb, and happy. I think there's a rude awakening occurring right now. It's
2: the innovator's you know, dilemma.
0: Well, we also didn't touch on uh, you know this fiscal need. I mean, you know, we're in a uh, zero interest rate market right now, so right. bankers have got to find a new way to make a living. In essence, yeah, you know, the, the balance sheet's not going to correct itself. The economy is still a mess, so loan demand's going to have there's going to be an impact on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, they're going to have to become more efficient and deliver product in a more in a better and more meaningful way.
1: Loans and deposits. Now back to the show.
2: Thoughts on because uh, we're talking new new income streams, new revenue streams. Thoughts on because this has been a big area of just thinking for me personally. Uh, monetizing some type of financial coaching. And I don't want to say financial advisory because that that's a whole other area in and of itself, more from an investment standpoint, but just more of, of coaching because if we're looking at helping people to better themselves financially, there's a lot of the need to change patterns, behaviors that are rooted in you know early childhood environment. Is there a way like a gym can charge, you know, for some type of coaching training and it's not even financial literacy or financial education. It's deeper than that. Is there an opportunity to monetize and create revenue around developing some type of a, of a program like that, particularly when combined with fintech or combined with some type of data and analytics insight? Yeah.
0: I mean, I think there is. I mean, I know in the, in, in the wealthier segments, you've got strategic asset management. And they they monetize it through a flat fee, anywhere uh, right. from one to two and a half percent of mm-hmm. assets under managers uh, under management. And then you've got um, a number of financial wellness solutions out there that you can subscribe to today. I'm not seeing them offered by banks. I saw today that Alliant has done a partnership with uh, Susie Ors- or- Orsman, Orman, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure if I know enough about it to comment on it. But at least they're they're saying we want to be a financial advocate and we're gonna surround us with people that will help us truly become that. Because for decades, the industry, not just the credit union industry, but the banking industry, has made that promise that we will be your financial advocate. Like, right? But they haven't really acted upon it, not nearly as much as they probably could. But again, I go back to PPP lending, people gave community banks a rough time prior to this, the the community bankers really came out as heroes in most cases when it came to PPP lending because they got out there self-educated and then took a stance and took the time to educate or be the advocate of small business. And that's still going on. The danger, the danger is that if if we do what we did back in the 90s and the early 2000s where we started declaring that we had financial literacy programs, and we basically were calling people financially illiterate and doing that. Those, those programs fundamentally did not work. But there is an opportunity to create programs and coaching that is maybe a subscription-based product. I don't know if it'll be a bank that'll do it or if it'll be a fintech that'll do it, but it's possible. People pay today for you know diet solutions, right? Yep. Like like Noom. I think it is. Yep. And then you've got um, you've got all these uh, psychology apps now that help you. You know, you look at your iPhone; it tells you when you ought to breathe. I mean, yeah, there's there's probably something out there for it. You know, we subscribe for health fitness. Why not physical fitness?
2: Yeah, because the physical fitness has such a direct correlation impact on the physical fitness and even the mental well being and it's like, I just see the opportunity if you fix someone's wallet, then you naturally will improve both their, their physical well being, as well as their mental well being. So maybe there's even some cross industry collaborations with and, and I agree with you it is a subscription based model we're seeing that with the financial gym uh, at, based out of New York uh, who's gotten a lot of good publicity and press and I think they have a membership model of about a hundred dollars a month but the value creation is they're saving their members on average and it's funny when you talk about members you think credit unions but they're saving their members on average six thousand dollars through that financial coaching and advisory they're incre- increasing credit scores by 50 to 75 points which you know creates much much more longer term value so a lot of this there, there there is the reality i think the time is now to to put that insight into action there's a lot of research that i've been reviewing that is is hitting back at financial education because it creates a false sense of confidence, just like Google creates a false sense of confidence. Whenever you go and you Google your your symptoms, uh, you can, you know, self-diagnose, but you're probably going to be wrong. And so that's where I feel like the the expertise of financial services, of fintech can really start to show itself and, and rise to your point of beyond the commoditization. You mentioned something the complacency I call it the cave of complacency where people are just stuck there they feel it safe and secure but it's a false sense of security what can be done to inspire those and there's maybe even some leaders who are still stuck in the cave of complacency what can be done to inspire them to come out to explore to, to to reach what I call the apex of awareness and look ahead towards the future with hope
0: I think the first thing is to look outside the industry. Don't rely upon just your trade associations to educate you. You know they tend to have kind of a, a tunnel vision approach sometimes. That said, you know I look at ABA and NAFU, and they're increasingly investing in fintech and mm-hmm. trying to drive more environments of collaboration. Uh, I think if the industry can find um, uh, inspiration outside its uh, its realm, I think that's going to be a, a true benefit. And I'm not talking about looking at Starbucks, because not even Starbucks wants to be Starbucks anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about looking at more uh, more aggressively at the, the Amazons of the world who know how to leverage data and deliver product. There's just a lot of inspiring organizations that can do something. I wanna go back to financial literacy real quick though. You know, one sure. of the things, one of the things I think that's gonna happen in 2021, I hate to bring up the word political because of the situation we're in today, financial health is gonna get political, right? It's gonna get very political. Financial health scores are something that people are now starting to talk about. And I think what that's gonna do is that's gonna lead to an increased financial health regulatory environment. Mm -hmm. That may, I'm not saying it'll stifle the ability of banks to truly enact upon advocacy, but it is gonna create somewhat of a speed bump. It'll probably create with the ones that have the insight and, and have the marketing wherewithal, it probably will present itself with opportunity yes. because they can distinguish themselves from the competition. But let's let's rest assured. There's going to be some regulatory challenges for banks next year, and some of it's going to be tied to the political the politicalization of financial health.
2: Yeah, if if you know when we, when we look out at this year, a lot of opportunities, a lot of you know potential roadblocks to be aware of. If there is one thing, I'm a financial brand leader. What would be the one thing that you would advise me to focus on so that it's December 31, 2021, and we look back on this year, I've made really good progress. If there was one thing that I could just keep my eye on and not get distracted by all of the noise going on, what would that one thing be for focus?
0: yeah i'm i'm biased towards fintech you know so i would say uh, an opportunity that i'd like bankers to look back and say hey i really moved the needle there would be considering fintech as a as a service platform mm. you know i think that they're going to be there's going to be some real emergence there again i think the worlds between fintech and FinServe are going to somewhat uh, collide it's not a new concept you know obviously it's been used quite a bit uh, but with all the evolving uh, opportunities that exist with uh, BAS, you know, banking as a service, APIs, the open banking movement that we're kind of in, there's gonna be an opportunity for banks to really diversify the products and services that they offer. So I guess what I would ask a banker to do in December 31, 2001, look back and say, what new products and services did I bring to market and how relevant were they? And did they make me money? Hmm. I got to add that for profit part in there
2: absolutely absolutely and and I think to to your point here, when we look at this idea of fintech, Finserve, financial brand collaboration, from your lens of the world what is what is one commonly held industry belief that you really passionately disagree with?
0: Ah, the fintech's a threat. I still talk to people out there that kind of have this woe is me mentality. You know, oh my goodness, the challenger banks are coming. I can never be like them. The new banks are coming. I can never be like them. But maybe I don't need to worry about them. Well, the bottom line is you do. You know, if you're in uh, Edmonds, Oklahoma, and uh, you're a millennial customer today, you can bank at Chime. You don't have to bank at Jill's Bank, you know, even though it's a great bank. So people like Jill are looking to say what new product and services can I bring to the market that, you know, reduce the chore of banking that are, um, uh, you know, really demonstrating unique and meaningful or relevant experience.
2: Is that more of a mindset
0: issue? Yeah, I mean, it's a mindset, but it's also, you know, I think we're, we're victims in the industry of that commoditization mindset. You know, if, if, we, if we view banking as a commodity, what, what inspires us to be different? Right. right. You know, we tend to look within our own industry for, for um, inspiration. That's that's a mistake. Yeah.
2: So This is really about almost what I would look at as first principles thinking of, you know, going back to zero, which is what has driven, you know, great. Probably the greatest example of this in modern time is elon musk you know with both tesla as well as spacex because we lose all assumptions we like we, we go back to zero and we start over we don't look at the limitations we look at the opportunities that are available for us and with that in mind you know financial brand leaders what is the best way for them to overcome to break free from the past to deal with change in the present moment and really eliminate some of the fears that might be holding them back from moving towards this future that you and others are talking about?
0: Some of this has to do with, with risk taking. If, if this change is being driven by by marketing and retail delivery, which is usually where it is driven at the average financial institution, let's say 10 billion bucks and under, which gets yeah. the bulk are in that category, obviously. right. Um, You know, so it's, you know, they need to have a sit down with their board and their executive leadership to understand the tolerance of risk. What can, how much latitude are you going to give me to try new things? I think that's a big part of it because Mm -hmm. there's a fear. You know, the average bank marketer today is Johnny on the spot for the lending department. We need a loan promotion. That's what they're hearing day in and day out. When I was at GSI, people said, I love what you're talking about, Brian, your sales team's done a great job, but you know what? How does it make loans for me? I get that. All they're hearing is give me loans, right? Right now, you're not gonna get the loan volume you want with the piece of pie you want. You're gonna have to have a bigger piece of pie or a more targeted piece of pie in order to maintain that lending opportunity. But now you got new threats. You got FinTechs, Neobanks, and really, really smart bankers out there—they're doing and trying new things. to so understand the risk tolerance for innovation.
2: Well, it's, it really goes back to the, the the Kenny's shoe example of taking a proactive yeah, stance. It is, yeah, it's probably a horrible,
0: it's probably a horrible example in many ways. But but literally, that's what we did. You know, we went to a shoe store where the sales reps were comped on pursuing the customer to make sure they engage them in order to close the sale and get them a pair of shoes that fit?
2: Well, you know, one of of my very first jobs was working at Old Navy. And this was when Old Navy was coming into the Houston market. I think I was like 17, 18 years old at the time. And I was the second round of hires in the Old Navy store that I was in we ended up growing to become the number one selling old navy in the entire country and it was because we had this amazing sales it's so simple you know very similar to your, your Kenny's shoe store example you approach the customer as they walk into the door you have your blue bag in hand and you ask if you can walk around the store and shop with them to provide the guidance and expertise and and it and you're like well it's just buying clothes well you're there if someone needs that guidance you're there if someone needs that advice if they want to do it on their own that's great but at least you're taking a proactive stance versus waiting for someone to to feel some level of friction that you talk so passionately about or frustration and eliminate that before it even exists yep yeah yeah well, listen, Brian, this has been such a great conversation. If someone wants to continue this conversation, this dialogue with you to dive, to dive deeper into the opportunities of, of FinTech, FinServe, financial brand collaboration, and the opportunities that exist, because it is really your passion, your area of focus, what's the best way for them to reach out, connect with you, say hello?
0: Hit me on, uh, hit me on Twitter, at Claggett, or just find me on uh, LinkedIn, at Brian Claggett, B-R-Y-A-N-C-L-A-G-E-T-T.
2: Excellent. Excellent. Brian, thanks again for joining me on another episode of banking on growth. And as always, and until next time, be well, do good and wash your hands.